we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands. Just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. My name is Mark Pretorian, Executive Director of the Center, and we have a special guest this episode, Ken Paxton, the 51st Attorney General of the state of Texas. And the reason we asked the Attorney General to join us is because Texas is right at the center of the immigration crisis we're facing, and really in two arenas, and I'd like to talk about both of them. One is at the border because the Texas border is ground zero for the disaster we're seeing created by the Biden administration. And then the other arena is lawsuits, because Texas has been at the forefront of lawsuits challenging the illegality of various Biden administration policies. So, uh, Mr. Paxson, thanks for joining us. Welcome. And I just had one point before we get started. I'm sort of a Texas history geek. And yeah. you um, say on your website and everything, you're 51st Attorney General of Texas, but you're the 51st Attorney General of the state of Texas. I looked up under the Republic, there were 10 other attorneys general. And so I guess technically speaking, you're the 61st Attorney General well, of Texas. Well, you know, that's a very interesting point. I'm actually maybe the 50th and the 60th because the very first one was appointed. Right. And I think he was there like 12 days and then he went to Congress and we're not sure he ever got Firm. So oh, I actually okay. may be 50. So, I mean, if you can figure that one out, you do a great service to the state of Texas just to get our history right. Well, I'll leave that to somebody else. But I will say at <laughs> least you're either the 60th or 61st attorney general of Texas itself. Well, so um, I appreciate that. I didn't know that, yeah. actually. So like I said, I wanted to talk about the two arenas where Texas is right at the center of the immigration crisis. First is the border and the second is the is lawsuits, the courtroom. So let's start with the border. You apparently have visited the border a couple times recently. I was wondering if you could talk to us a little bit about what you've seen there and what Texas's role is in combating it or trying to contain it or the damage that Texas experiences. Yeah, so I, I've gone twice in the last month. I went down to the Rio Grande Valley, McAllen area, and then I went to Laredo more recently in like the last week and a half or two weeks. And, you know, there's nothing like being there and seeing it. You can hear stories about it. The media doesn't necessarily cover everything. They don't come close to it. But getting down there and seeing with your own eyes the wall, the building of the wall, with seeing how easy it is to cross, talking to Border Patrol agents, Customs and Immigration agents, talking to state police, talking to sheriffs, local city officials, they're all its pretty much consistent. They think these policies that the Biden administration walked away from were working, and now they have new policies that are just the opposite. They're a total disaster. And the, the, the bottom line is that what they're feeling is that the cartels are the primary beneficiary of the Biden administration immigration plan. And they are making billions of dollars by charging just about everybody that crosses the border a significant sum of money. And that, I think in Laredo, they, they were telling me the average is about 8000 a person. 
Wow. And the problem is then once that happens, they, they sort of maintain their contacts with them as they go throughout the country. If they can't make the payments, then they're subject to cartel control for maybe a very long time. So it's pretty much a disaster, and it also involves a lot of smuggling of humans, and it involves a lot of smuggling of drugs because now Border Patrol pretty much occupied with taking care of these families, and they don't have the resources now to stop the drug traffic. So the cartels couldn't be happier with the Biden administration. There's not, There's been no better president for them. Even Obama wasn't this bad, but it, it certainly is not good for Texas. I don't even think it's good for the immigrants. This is not the way to get them here because it, in the end, they, there's a better way for them to come if we're going to do this. Yeah, one of our analysts actually referring to the cartel issue said, Congress, instead of calling Secretary DHS Secretary Mayorkas to testify next time to find out what's going on at the border, they should just see if the capo of the Sinaloa cartel will just come and testify because he's basically in charge of the U.S. border at this point. No, that is exactly true. I don't think Americans realize what the Biden administration has done to empower the cartels. They are just raking in the money, and they're doing such harm to our population, both the children because of the drug trafficking and then just what's happening to these, these immigrants who are coming across, they're, they're not in the best situation. If the cartel is, is, is controlling their transportation and their lives and they're completely having to depend on the cartel, you can know that's not good for them. So I don't understand the policy as it relates to the parties involved. It certainly has no explanation that I know of that, that's good. We had... One of our analysts was formerly with DPS, the Department of Public Safety in Texas. He was an intelligence analyst, and before that, a foreign correspondent. He went down to South Texas recently. I think it was in Roma. But anyway, he was somewhere down in the Rio Grande Valley. And what he said is that, of course, it's not just Border Patrol down there. There's also the Texas National Guard and the Department of Public Safety, basically state troopers. But none of them is able to really do very much. Because the Biden administration, you know, their policies are basically to facilitate this migration. And since, I mean, you're the chief prosecutor of the state, are there things that Texas on its own can do to prosecute, say, smugglers or even regular illegal immigrants for trespass, that kind of thing? Is that something you all have looked into? What kind of authorities do you have? So it's actually interesting. In Texas, it's pretty unfortunate that district attorneys have complete authority over criminal law other than election fraud. So I don't have jurisdiction unless they refer it to me. So if, if the local DA doesn't want to do anything about a crime, there's nothing we can do. We have to just watch it, and they can allow as much crime as they want, depending on where they're at. So that's that's the first thing. Second, even with that, the way the U.S. Supreme Court has ruled in uh, U.S. v. Arizona, which I know you're familiar with, right. that supposedly the federal government is completely in charge of immigration. So even if they're violating federal law, and the Biden administration decides not to enforce it as they're required to by the Constitution and by federal law, there's supposedly nothing we can do about it. That doesn't make any sense to me. It was a, If you'll remember, this was a what, 5-3 decision with Kennedy and Roberts siding with the three liberal judges and one of the liberal judges uh, recusing themselves. I would love to find a, a case to challenge that because I don't think it makes any sense if the federal government is abrogating and it's not fulfilling its responsibilities. I don't understand why they can pass a law and say, oh, well, we passed this law, sorry, we're not going to enforce it, but now you can't either, ha-ha. Well, because it ends up affecting the citizens of Texas and the border states, and that doesn't seem right to me that our governor has to sit on the sidelines, or governor of Arizona sit on the sidelines, when bad things are happening to their people, and they just get to say, ha-ha, we already passed this law, now you can't do anything about it. I don't think that's right, and I hope the Supreme Court, if we can find the right case, I hope that they'll look at this and consider the consequences of that decision. 
And we have a different makeup on the Supreme Court, too, now. Things could change. I mean, that decision could come out differently. Yeah, we have, uh, you know, Roberts went the other way. Uh, so Kennedy, Kennedy's gone. Right. Assuming the four liberals side with Roberts, I mean, the three liberals now, right. we'd have to have the other five more conservative judges side with us and let the states have some ability to do something about this. Right. But you need a case to, to begin with. That's the problem. Yes, we need a case. And it's got to percolate its way up to the Supreme Court, too. Yep. That's interesting. I did not know the DAs, the local the, the county, had authority over the prosecutions. Are there district attorneys who are amenable that might be that you could you would be able to work with in oh in doing there, something there, like this? Yeah, there's definitely some, but then they're just confined to state law, right? So if somebody's crossing the border illegally, we we have no authority, according to this U.S. Supreme Court case, to stop it. Right. If they commit a state crime then we can prosecute that. And some DAs are doing that. Some DAs are doing a great job. Some are not. Right. And one of the things we've tried to do is get authority. We get the legislature to pass a statute that allows us to have some of this authority, like with human trafficking, because the DAs don't have the resources to prosecute at all. So sure. we've tried to get that authority. It just The legislature has been very sort of tied into the DAs and let them control these issues. Oh, that's interesting. Is it sort of a turf issue then? It's not even really oh, yeah. a policy issue? Oh, yeah. So I tried to get a bill that would just let us have a – basically let the DAs have a first right of refusal on all human trafficking cases. We have a specialized team. That does, that's all they do. So right. we have resources and talent, probably the best state. So I was saying give them a first right of refusal, give them 60 days to look at a case. If they don't want to do it, we'll do it. Or if it crosses county lines because they typically don't like doing these broad cross-county line cases, then let us do the big ones, you know, the ones that no one's prosecuting. Right. The district attorneys, they've fought it tooth and nail and we came very close. We got it through the Senate last time, and we we came close in the House, but it failed because pretty much all the Democrats voted against it. And we had a group of about 10 Republicans that kind of thought, well, my DAs don't want it, so human trafficking gets put put to the sideline. Interesting. That's really unfortunate. The session only meets every two years, right? So yeah. when's the legislature back next to address this uh, kind of issue? It seems pretty important. Well, yeah, this is uh, they just finished in May, May 31st. Oh, wow. So it'll be two years so, before they come back. Yeah, the governor, well, they'll come back for a special session on oh. redistricting and some other things, election integrity probably. Right. But the governor would have to put it on the call. Right. And then they'd have to pass it. But the DAs would fight that tooth and nail because they just, they don't want anybody else prosecuting any crime. And this is even considering that your office actually has an, a special unit, right, for human trafficking. In other words, this is one yeah. of the things that you all specialize in. I started this uh, my, after my first year. I put this team together. We have, I think, the only team, at least of this Size put together to go fight human trafficking and prosecute it, investigate it. And part of the problem we have is we have to get referrals. So if DAs don't refer us to cases, we can't do them. Interesting. A lot of people run free. I'm not sure a lot of people know that. That's actually something that's probably worth getting more publicity for, this sort of this turf issue that is really interfering with the ways Texas could contribute to combating the Biden administration. There's no doubt. And I literally don't. If they could prosecute every case, if, if the DAs could prosecute every case, if they had the resources sure. and the desire, I'd be like, fine, get them. Right. But they just don't. There's just too much of it. Uh, we're the second leading incidence of human trafficking. I think Houston is the worst city in America. So hmm. why not let us come in and help? Like, we, all we want to do is, like, help stop this. And, you know, I mean, a district attorney in a little county in the Valley isn't necessarily even going to have the tools to be able to do this kind of thing. Yeah, and it's through no fault of their own. Right. I mean, it's just the way it is. It's just they, they don't have the resources. I don't fault them for it. I'm not trying to blame them. Right. 
I'm not trying to make them look bad. As a matter of fact, I'd like to team up with them, and we want to help them. Right, right. Interesting. The other arena where Texas is playing a major role is in the courtroom, in the lawsuits against the Biden administration. I looked it up, and your tenure overlapped with the Obama administration for two years. And in those two years, your site says you had filed 27 lawsuits on not just immigration, but on a variety of issues against the Obama administration. And you all seem to be taking up the uh, charge again with Biden in charge. And I just wonder if we could talk about some of those lawsuits. The first, I think, that maybe most people be familiar with were the lawsuits against DAPA and DACA, which were illegal amnesties that the uh, Obama administration kind of unilaterally just made up. And yeah, and so I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the DAPA and DACA lawsuits. Sure. So the, the DAPA lawsuit was the, the parents of, of these right. children. And it was, Governor Abbott solved that lawsuit, did a great job getting it going, and then he became governor within a couple of weeks. So we, we carried that on, and I'm grateful that he got that filed. So if you'll remember, it was Obama who said he, he didn't have the authority to to change immigration law, that he was not a king, right. said this. I'm not an emperor. It has to be Congress that changes this. Well, then, in, I guess it was November of 2014, he said, I just changed the law. Right. And he did. He just literally rewrote law that passed by Congress. And so that lawsuit progressed on the grounds that he didn't have the authority to change the law. And that was the exact same argument we made DACA after we won DAPA. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were successful in both lawsuits at stopping a president from just rewriting law. So whether you agree with that policy or not, we cannot have presidents just rewriting law. That's what Obama, in the end, became. He became a guy that just dictated the law, and we, we were able to stop that. And there were a couple of things. First of all, the DACA lawsuit's still going on, right? I mean, that's in district court, in Judge Hannon's court. And he's supposed to sort of, I mean, he hasn't decided, he hasn't actually had a ruling yet formally on whether it's lawful or unlawful, right? That's correct. Now, he did rule on DAPA. He was the first right. judge to say this is unconstitutional. The president went, has to follow federal law. He can't just make up new law. So, sure. you know, this is, there's no difference between DACA and DAPA as far as the legal theory. So it should come out the same. Uh, I'd be shocked if it doesn't. Same judge, same courts going up. And so it should come out the same because there's nothing different about these two cases. The interesting thing about DAPA was that, I mean, I'm not an attorney and I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but Texas got standing, basically the ability to bring the lawsuit. And it seems to me that was a pretty important first step that makes other lawsuits possible. Am I understanding that correctly? No, you're right. And we got standing. In order to get standing, you have to show that you have some harm. And we were able to show that it was going to cost the state of Texas significant dollars as it relates to issuing driver's licenses. Right. So we made we made that argument. We were able to get standing, and so it, it obviously with DACA it would be the same thing. Right. Now there were a number of other lawsuits you all have been involved with, and I was just wondering if we could talk a little bit about each of these. The first one got a lot of news was against the Biden administration's deportation moratorium. The administration said we're just going to not deport anybody for 100 days. Now the 100 days is over, but you all challenged that. And the judge enjoined the moratorium. If now that the hundred days has passed, is that basically turned into a pumpkin? Is that lawsuit now kind of moot? Yeah. So what happened was he issued that edict, and I call it edict because it's in right. complete violation of federal law. Right. And it's also in violation of his constitutional role as executing law, not making it. We got an injunction on day three of his administration, and then we we got the a temporary injunction to, to force him to continue to enforce federal laws related to deportation. 
on day six. And then a couple of weeks later, we got a permanent injunction. And then, of course, the 100 days ran out, so that's over. Now, I don't think he actually was doing his job. I think he just ignored the injunction and went on and about his business and just pretty much shut down any type of deportation for the most part. It sure seems that way because, I mean, the number of deportations from the interior collapsed. Um, I forget. I don't have the latest numbers at hand, but it was extremely low. It was like the lowest since they've been keeping numbers or at least since like the Clinton administration. During the period of that 100 days, did the government, was there anything they had to show, any data they had to provide, anything to show they were complying with the judge's order? You know what? No. I mean, it was such a brief period of time, they ended up showing us really nothing. Right. And then the the 100 days ran out. So I think eventually we would have been in there asking for that data. Right. It was such a brief period of time that they could just, like, effectively, I think, ignore not, not just federal law, but a judicial order. So, you know, we're talking about massive power grab by by the Biden administration. Right. I mean, I still think it was an important shot across their bow, and it was an important victory, even if a temporary one. Another lawsuit that you all have been involved in is this public charge issue. Just background for listeners, the Trump administration issued a new rule on what's called public charge, which is the whole point of it is to make sure that people being considered for green cards are likely to be able to pay their own bills and support themselves and not end up on welfare. That's been a principle of American law for generations, really for centuries. And the regulations on that were very loosey-goosey. The Trump administration, actually one of our analysts here was involved with that, went through the laborious, detailed process. It was very carefully done, came up with a new, tighter rule. It wasn't draconian, it was, but it was much more sensible. The various Democratic run states or Democratic state attorneys general sued. It was enjoined temporarily, at least. Biden came in, said, well, we're not going to defend these regs. We're just going to ignore them. You all, as I understand it, and I wanted to tell a little more about this, intervened to try to defend the public charge regulations. What's the status of that? So basically, we've asked to intervene. We're hoping that is granted. And, you know, the Democrats did this very successfully. Like when, when I got the Trump administration to switch on Obamacare to our side right. and on DACA, then New Jersey intervened on the DACA case and California intervened on the Obama case. So, I mean, we're doing nothing different than what the, the Democrat AGs did before us. And we're doing that because this is a law. We're trying to defend what the, the Biden administration will not defend because it's going to cost every American something. Now, as I understand it, the uh, the Supreme Court considered the case, at least in a kind of related to technicalities, and they didn't rule against you, but they kicked it back down to the lower court. What's going on with it? What's the status of it? Yeah, so we're just kind of waiting. We haven't been in the court on that issue yet. Uh, mm-hmm. We're just waiting for a time to make our case, right? which is where we are in a lot of these cases. It's, you know, I, it's one of the downsides of my job, I can't just issue an order that's done. We have to go <laughs> fight it out. It right. takes time. It's kind of like, uh, what was that, Charles Dickens' book, Bleak House? is a lawsuit that went on for like four generations or something. It just never ended. <laughs> yes. There's a couple other lawsuits you all have been involved in against the Biden administration. One is this COVID issue. In other words, I, I think that's the, is it testing migrants coming across for COVID, releasing them? What's that lawsuit about? Yeah, so basically they're not enforcing the, everything they've enforced against us, basically having all these rules and regulations as it relates to people moving around 
and the Trump administration had stopped a lot of the immigration because of COVID and not knowing whether these people were transmitting COVID into our country. Right. So we sued and said, look, you can't just unilaterally undo what was been done. You have to go through the the right process, and the Biden administration, of course, never does or doesn't do it very often. Right. And so that's our that's our argument. Another one is you had sued for the reestablishment of what the technical term is the migration protection protocols, but most people probably know it as remain in Mexico. And this was a Trump initiative that basically said, sure, you can apply for asylum if you snuck across the border, but we're not going to let you go in the U.S. You were going to send you back across the border into Mexico and you can wait there until your date comes up. The Biden people stopped that and actually just recently formally withdrew it. In other words, canceled it. You all have a lawsuit on that. And I was wondering, what's the status of that? Yeah, so if you'll remember when Trump was in office, he had the same issues, you know, massive right. immigration that Obama had invited as well. And the lawyers in the United States, immigration lawyers, would advise people coming up, just claim asylum, come in, the hearing come for a couple of years, you just disappear, all's good. Yep. And the problem is only about 14% of those people actually qualify for asylum. So this policy that Trump put into place, that he went through the right process to get implemented, the Biden administration just unilaterally cut off. And so our argument is, he didn't get the, the right process of cutting it off. And two, he's cutting off a process that actually worked very, very well. It was one of the most effective things that the Trump administration did Absolutely. to stop the just pouring in of illegal immigrants. In fact, the cancellation of the Remain in Mexico program is a big part of the reason we're seeing this emergency at the border. Oh, absolutely. That and the, you know, the whole catch and release where now you just right. catch people and let them go. Those are the two main things. I think that were effective. I think the long-term solution is obviously the wall, which was also cut off. Are there any lawsuits that you all are involved in related to the wall, or is that something just uh, as a private issue? So not yet. I mean, every day we're looking at how we can stem the tide of illegal immigration because of the impact on our state with crime and drugs and all of that, and just right. also the cost that we're incurring generally, both fiscal and social costs. So not yet. You know, it's He's only been in office a few months. We've already filed seven lawsuits against the Biden administration. So no, no, I we're doing about. I'm not complaining. I'm just uh, just wanted to get the update. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So, they, so there may well be more coming. I mean, um, oh, I have no doubt there's more coming. It's just a, it's a matter of time, resources, and figuring out the right way to get our you know standing is usually the first issue we have to deal with. Right. Another lawsuit that you all are involved in is challenging the uh, ICE's new policy under Biden to not take custody of deportable immigrants, illegal immigrants, or sometimes maybe they're legal but made themselves deportable by committing crimes. And so they are then prosecuted for state crimes. They serve time in state prison. And when their sentence is up, you all, and this is the way it's always worked, you hand them over to ICE for deportation. And as I understand it, they're just not taking a lot of those people into custody anymore. And sort of what's the situation there and what's the lawsuit about? So, you know, this is much like the healthcare care one related to letting people in with COVID. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, we, you know, we, as you said, we have people in jail that are illegal immigrants and they get out. They're supposed to be then handed over to ICE and deported. And for some reason, the Biden administration thinks it's a great idea for people who have committed crimes who are illegal stay in the country. And so they've stopped detaining those people, taking them into custody. And so they get released into our communities. And really, this is all over the country. So they right. can remember these people can go anywhere. Once they're here, it's pretty easy to just cross 
out of Texas and you know, cross into other states. So it's pretty hard for me to understand why the Biden administration would go to that length to allow illegal immigration to make sure that criminals, convicted criminals, and some of them, you know, felons, that they they are allowed to stay and that they're really sort of invited to stay. Yeah, I mean, my sense is anything Trump did, they have to do the opposite, and it doesn't matter what it is. If he said take a bath every day, they'd stop taking showers. I mean, it's that <laughs> it's that deranged, in my opinion. So, are you all suing ICE to get them to take custody of these people? What's the story with that? Yeah, so we're suing the Biden administration. I don't remember exactly all the agencies. There's typically a listing of agencies right. on each of these lawsuits that we're suing. Wouldn't surprise me if, if ICE was on that lawsuit, but generally it's it's the Biden administration. You know, ICE, Border Patrol, those guys want to do their job. Right, um, they're, they're being directed not to, but they're, they, they, I've been down there enough to talk to them. They all loved what Trump was doing because it gave them a, an opportunity to protect the country and do their jobs. And now just the opposite, just like under Obama, they feel pretty hopeless about following the law and, and doing what they were hired to do. Right. Related to this issue of criminals that you all end up having to release because they finish their sentence because ICE won't take them. So you just send them back to communities. As we know, a significant share of ex-cons reoffend and commit other crimes. And I don't know, this is probably not your department. Maybe it's more DPS or corrections or something. But is somebody trying to keep track of people that ICE didn't take into custody? And so you all had to release and then they commit further crimes? Because it seems to be that data on that would be really useful. You know, that's a good question. I don't know who's keeping track of that data. It certainly would be my office. Right. We don't do prosecutions, but, you know, that would be an important number. I know just from anecdotal evidence that that certainly happens, you know, that sure, some of, of these course. people that are released are not going to stop committing crimes just because they've served some time. Right, exactly. Well, I know you have other things to do. I don't want to keep you longer. Our guest has been Ken Paxton, the Attorney General, the 61st Attorney General of Texas. I wish you luck on this because this area of what they call lawfare, essentially, you know, fighting through the courts is essential part of the struggle against the Biden administration's lawless immigration policies. And Texas has been at the forefront of fighting this. And all I can say is keep up the good fight and thanks for coming on. Well, I, Mark, I appreciate what you guys are doing. And we're certainly uh, in the middle of the fight. We're not going anywhere. We're going to keep fighting this and, uh, because we have to win. Or the very foundations of our democracy really crumble because of the way the president is ignoring the Constitution and federal law. Thank you. That was Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton devoting a few minutes to tell us about the state's roles in fighting illegal immigration. And now for some closing commentary, I wanted to talk a little bit about Vice President Kamala Harris's recent visit to Guatemala and Mexico. For those who follow this, you recall that she was initially supposed to be the border czar in charge of the issues at the border. She immediately distanced herself from that because it's a disaster that she doesn't want to have to be responsible for. But she said that what she really was was the root causes czar, which is to say she her job, as uh, they put it, was for her to address what is causing people to want to leave Central America and make it through Mexico and come to our border in the first place. The theory being to have fewer people want to leave so there'll be less stress at the border and therefore the Biden administration's 
unwillingness to enforce immigration laws, which is not going to change, would be less problematic politically for them because there wouldn't be as many people sneaking across the border. But specifically this week, the vice president went to Guatemala and she gave some comments down there trying to dissuade people in Central America from coming. And she said a couple of brief quotes, I want to be clear to folks in this region who are thinking about making that dangerous trek to the United States-Mexico border, do not come. Do not come. She said it twice, so she must be serious. And this was covered by the Washington Post and the New York Times and elsewhere, talking about blunt language and a strong message from the vice president to potential migrants. And in fact, it's not going to have any effect at all because words don't matter, actions matter. She said things like, for instance, the United States will continue to enforce our laws and secure our borders. She said also, as one of our priorities, we will discourage illegal immigration. And finally, and I believe if you come to our border, you will be turned back. Except that none of that's true. Some people will be turned back, that is true. But anyone bringing a child with them, or almost anyone bringing a child with them, will be released into the United States. And anyone under 18, or at least claiming to be under 18, will also be released eventually and will not be made to leave ever. And so what matters here is what our policies are at the border, not the message that government officials are sending. And this isn't speculative because the Obama administration tried the same thing because they faced an earlier phase of the border crisis, also partly their fault. And we took out public service ads, newspaper ads, radio spots down in Central America. Don't come. It's dangerous, etc. Our State Department officials down there, consular officials at our embassies recorded videos that they posted online saying, you know, you will be turned back, the border is closed, etc. It was all baloney. And it's actually, I would say, worse than useless. Because if it simply had no effect on the border, at least it would be benign. I mean, it would be a waste of time, but it wouldn't be harmful. But I got to say, I think that this kind of messaging that bears no relation whatever to reality is actually worse than useless because it undermines the credibility of the United States. The only thing that will dissuade people from making the trek, and we saw this because President Trump did it, is changing the policies so that people are not able to get past the Border Patrol and be released into the United States. If that policy approach does not change, we're going to see a continuation of what we're seeing at the border. My colleague Todd Benzman, who visited South Texas and was there with some law enforcement people a night a few weeks ago, and raft after raft after raft just crossed, dropped off their load of people, went back and picked up more and back and forth, back and forth, hundreds of people, an amphibious landing, and law enforcement wasn't able to do anything. The Border Patrol, National Guard, Texas State Troopers, they basically just sort of waved the illegal immigrants up to the road where they were processing them and sending them on. Until that changes, 
it doesn't matter what the vice president or the president or anybody else says about not coming to the border. It's dangerous. Please don't do it. People are going to act on what they see the actual results, the actual consequences of sneaking across the border are, not what somebody tells them. And if we are sending a message that is directly contrary to what's happening at the border, we're undermining the government's credibility and it's going to be more difficult to shut this down because whatever we say, nobody's going to believe anyway. So that's all we have for this week. This is Mark Krikorian, Executive Director of the Center for Parsing Immigration Policy. We hope you tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you.